0: Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Praying with priests. I have the absolute privilege of being here with Bishop Anthony Pilla, who's the Bishop Emeritus of the Diocese of Cleveland. I he's been he was my bishop for most of my life, and so I always have wonderful memories of Bishop Pilla. I was a little bit disappointed that he retired right before my ordination. So I was the the, the first class that he did not ordain. Um I've always felt really um I've always felt a lot of love from Bishop Hilla, and part of that is because he always asks, how's your mom? How's your dad? You know, that's always been an important thing that he asks of me, and so it's a real privilege to be here with him as we just talk about prayer, um, what his experience of prayer has been throughout his life, and um, maybe he'll have some tips and pointers for for some of you that are listening as well, so welcome, Bishop Pilla.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: I like to begin with um, just talking about your earliest memories or earliest ex- earliest experiences that you've had of prayer. When when you think of that, what what would be some of the memories that would come to mind?
1: I I don't think I can honestly say that I had early uh, notions of prayer. I, the only time I, I what I do remember is though. So, observing my grandmother and my mother who prayed frequently and I, I just did what they did. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I didn't really know what I was doing, I don't think. but I knew uh, how I should look and that I, if it wasn't it wasn't playtime you know it was seriously serious stuff and uh, that, that's what was my earliest sign uh, being around people who prayed. I think the first time I really understood that it's praying is probably when I went to elementary school and, uh, received my first communion. That was a, that was an awesome moment for me. I mean, uh, you know, it was, a, I knew I was doing something very special and it had something to do with God. And I knew I had to be certain ways of being respectful and, you know, I, I did, I was, I mean, I just, I just did it because I thought it we should do it. I always knew that if I didn't, when I was small, my grandmother, or my mother would let me know that I didn't do it. But that, that never really, I never did it because I was free. I did it more because I admired it or, or, you know, because usually my earliest experiences were whenever they needed something. You know, whenever there's something important in their life, they need it. They said, I'm going to say a prayer to God. That, And I thought that was pretty, you know, good. You can talk to God when you need something. And so when, when I needed something, I began to ask God, you know, and uh, that was the year of my early life. I was around, I was in a religious environment, religious in the sense that faith meant something. My grandmother never went to school, you know, but she's probably the best theologian I've ever Mm -hmm. met. Her instincts, her religious instincts, were so terrific. And just being around her taught me a lot about praying and being a Catholic.
0: Now, when you joined your your mother and your grandmother for prayer, and maybe you didn't even, as you said, not even sure what, what was going on, what were they doing? Where was that?
1: Oh, usually it was in... Well, with them, it was anywhere. Okay. I mean, if it happened to be in the kitchen, I would say it was them. My grandmother had those aprons, you know, they with the two pockets, and my mother, too. And there was a rosary in there. Oh, ah, yeah. You know, so no matter where they were, they were ready to... So wherever it happened, and both of them, there were two rooms that they lived in, you know, kitchen and bedroom. You know, but I... I so usually it would be in the kitchen and occasionally it'd be in the living room. Mm-hmm. But not very often. It was a, it was more of a, cause it wasn't something extraordinary. Okay. You didn't have to sit in the living room. It wasn't something extraordinary. It was just something they did and it didn't make any difference where they were. And that, that taught me a lot of, you know, that's what I did. You know, I prayed where I was. I prayed with them.
0: You know? And what was the affective feeling of that when you
1: prayed with them? Were you? Well, I, I think I, I was just kind of um, in awe. Mm. And when I was small, I, I can't. It's hard to describe. I just it was a great respect for what they were doing, and I wanted to be like them. Yeah. But I didn't have any idea of the theology of it all. But...
0: And then tell me a little bit more about your first
1: communion. Well, my first communion uh, at that time, I think is very important. You know, you had to, have a, had to get a new suit, white suit, and you, you had to have a special white prayer book and, you know, uh, and a rosary. So all that, that was, and, and for in my family, that was an important day. Mm. So uh, that kind of put me in touch with religion in a whole new way it wasn't just something nice to do all of a sudden this it became a little more uh, a little more rec- something expected and something I, I should do because who god is mm-hmm. i didn't understand it yet but i mean that that's as i look back that's what i felt i was thought you, you know you got to do this <laughs> and you should do this cuz god's good to you and you need God, so there's a a sense of awe which yeah. you had,
0: a sense of reverence and respect. Yeah, and um, sometimes when people hear reverence or respect, they think um, obligation or boring. No,
1: or... no, there was no none obligation was uh, not when I was like young.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: I I never felt obligated, and they never made me feel that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there was never a punishment or, or anything like that. It was always something that was, a uh, you know, I think as I look back and listen, to, I can't even hear my grandmother and my mother talking. It was some of the privilege that we had as Catholic. Yeah. You know, as Catholics, this is who we are. You know, if you're a Catholic, mm-hmm. you go to church on Sunday. My father said, you don't go to church, you don't eat in this house. Hmm. You know, that was something you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. But they never made me feel like a, a law. An obligation is in a very unique sense, an obligation that um, that wasn't imposed. It was an obligation that was appreciated. Hmm. They didn't never make me feel I had to do it or they'd get punished. It's something I should do because it's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. So those sacramentals, um, sacramentals are so important to us yeah. in our faith. Any of those that you held on to uh, throughout the years? Oh, yeah.
1: I, holy water. Mm-hmm. My grandmother had it. I had it. Until the day she died, I had it for holy water constantly. Uh, that statues, uh, especially the, of the Madonna. Mm-hmm. Uh, crucifix. Uh, Every room had one. And uh, when you prayed, if you looked at it, it helped. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, uh, you know, now people mock that out. It it was nothing like that. It's nothing. uh, They weren't trying to uh, do something. They weren't manipulating me. Mm-hmm. With externals, it wasn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. It was, they were trying to help me. Yeah, yeah. And they would kind of teach me in doing that. So who whose blessed mother was? And what the crucifix is? You know, that's the way I learned it. I, I didn't even know I was learning catechism. Right. But that's the way it was.
0: Yeah, we hear the family is the primary church. No, they're the ones. Oh,
1: that no doubt about
0: it. Teach us all about God. No
1: doubt about it. Um. You know, you're talking about obligation. Mm-hmm. I, my grandmother was very funny. Uh, after I, be, when I became priest, you know, uh, they had to, uh no meat on Friday. You know. They took they took that away, and uh, they, they don't you can eat meat on Friday. So I was I, I went to visit my grandmother, and and she was Friday, and she she says, oh, where, "I'm making fish." I said, Grandma, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You, you, know, you can eat meat on Friday. And she says, Anthony, you and the Pope do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> and this is something she told me and I never forgot. She says, I don't do it because I have to do it, mm. I do it because I want to do it. Mm. <laughs> you and the Pope do what you want, <laughs> I'll do what I want to do. <laughs> That's
0: wonderful. But
1: I, you know, it sounds just simple, but that's good theology. Yeah. You know, everything in, in the human person that has meaning has to be clearly the expression of the conscience of that individual. That's what gives meaning. It's what you really think mm-hmm. that gives meaning to what you're doing. And if you don't really think it's important, it's not important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it should be, but it's
0: not for you. Well, and they modeled that for you. Um, so you grew up pr- primarily having petitionary prayer, knowing yeah. that you could go to God whenever you needed or, or uh, you know, wanted to ask him for something or for help. Also with the sacramental aspects of just even looking at a crucifix, you know, uh, in terms of having that sacramental, um, life. So as you as you kind of go through grade school, um any developments in there in terms of your own prayer life?
1: Yeah, that's where I first began to think about what these things meant. You know, I did them because it, it was more on the affective side; mm-hmm. it made me feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, and I liked to do it. My mother, I just liked it. But when I started going to school, I started learning why I should do it. And that made a big difference because then it, it, it changed prayer a little bit because I got away from just petitionary prayer. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about adoration, about thinking about not talking too much. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I learned that, you know, we make the mistake with God that we make with each other, we talk too much. Yeah. You know, We don't listen to each other. And when you're dealing with God, that's a big mistake. People think prayer is saying a lot of words or reading something beautiful and somebody printed. And that, that's not really the best form of prayer. best form of prayer is just being with God. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to say anything. You just got to think about that relationship and how it applies to your life.
0: How did you discover adoration and can you tell our listeners maybe if they don't know what that is? Well, you
1: adoration is you pray to God because he is God and 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 all-knowing and all-powerful and all good. Goodness is there. It's just a sense of total awe of the presence of God that's totally consuming and overwhelming. We can never understand God. You know, when you, um, I don't want to get too, too, too technical, but you can't know God because in order for you to know anything, you have to comprehend it yourself. You have to make it a part of you, your brain. You can't do that with God. You're never going to know God totally because mm-hmm. then you'd be God. Mm-hmm. And so we, we're all, that's why St. Augustine said, you know, our heart is longing for you and won't rest till they rest in you because you, as a human being, you're never going to know God. And if it's, it's all over now. I understand it all. It's always going to be searching. There's always a better day. There's always a better way and, and a more fulfilling way. And with God, you know, when we talk about adoration, we don't, Adoration, you're talking because God is God, and just thinking about that, you know, we don't always understand what that means. He's not, he's not just a friend. He's not just a father or mother. He's, he's, he is God, and just thinking about what all that means. Who created the world from nothing? Who has no beginning and new or no end? Who has total knowledge? Who understands you better than anyone else? I know your mother and father love you, but that doesn't begin to be like how much God loves you. Mm-hmm. And so when they die, you know, it's a, it's a shame. But I think we got to remember that's the best thing that can happen to us because then we're going to be known for who we are, clearly, by the only one who knows that, and that's God. And that's what we talk about. You're not asking him for something. You're not praising him for some specific thing, just who he is. Yeah, so um, Bishop Hill seems
0: to be describing contemplative prayer you know as the mystics would call it so many of our listeners know that there's vocal prayer and then meditative prayer and contemplative prayer which is simply just being with god resting in his presence um any other grade school influences on you did you have nuns that taught you yes
1: yes i would say most of that in the grade school and even you know all the way it was really To be honest with you, the next big bump Mm -hmm. was at Cathedral Latin. Okay. In the grade school, I I did these things more out of respect. I had respect for my teachers. Mm -hmm. And I did it because they asked me to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure I would have prayed as often had it not been for my teachers who put me in situations where there is prayer. Uh, I never, uh, it wasn't something I would think of doing by myself too often.
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah.
1: I was playing football Mm -hmm. and all the other things. But uh, at Cathedral Latin, uh, one of the brothers uh, asked me to join a, a sodality, which was devotion to the Blessed Mother, well, what does that word mean? I've never heard that actually. Sodality. Uh, a a
0: gr- group. Okay. Yeah,
1: you know, it's a prayer group. Okay. But it's dedicated to the Blessed Mother.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the uh, We did that and, uh, you know, I, I, I play football there. So he, he, was, he came in after practice. Uh, he was kind of a, a chaplain. Brother Joe Morgan at Cathedral Latin. And he and he said to me, You know, I, I'm forming this sodality and we're going to focus on religious vocations. And he says, uh, uh, I think you ought to come. And I said, Well, what's a religious vocation? <laughs> I don't know what that was. So he told me what it was. I said, I, see, I, don't, I never thought of that, you know. He said, uh, Yeah, think about it. So I said, Okay. And so I, I did go and little by little, I began to think seriously about what I was hearing that maybe God was calling me. But he wanted me to be a brother teaching mm-hmm. Latin. And I had no interest in being a brother and teaching Latin. But I, to his credit, he said, you ever think about being a priest? I said, no, I never thought about being a priest. You never thought about it till then? No, I never thought about being a priest. Wow. And uh, he said, he said hey, you ought to think about it. Why don't you talk to some priests? I, I, I waited a little while, and then I, I did talk to our parish priest. And I sat watching priests. I said to myself, that's not a bad way to live. I said, you know, they're making this a better world for everyone. Mm. And I, that's what I want to do in my life. Maybe that's the way I should do it. And then I start thinking, and then I started talking to God, because they told me all about discernment, Yeah, you know, what a vocation is. And you discern in a prayerful relationship with God. And that's when I started understanding that prayer was a little more than just the words. And, and uh, I ended up in a seminary. That's how, that's how it was, and you know I I went to public school before I went to Latin, and so uh, <laughs> uh, it wasn't it was very interesting. I was the only one in my class in the seminary that did not know how to serve mass because I never <laughs> served mass. You know, I went to Sunday church, but I never served mass. So they had to take me every morning. A senior student had to take me in the back of chapel and teach me how to serve. And that, that taught me a lot because, you know, I, I I didn't know all those things, what I was doing and saying, but he did tell me what I was doing and what I was saying, what it meant. And I think that that helped me a great deal.
0: So you went, you went to public grade school. And junior high. And junior high. And then Cathedral Latin is the high school. Yeah. Wow. And that was run by who? Um, Marianists. The Marianists,
1: okay. Same the same as the ones that were St. Joe's High School. Mm-hmm.
0: As you were discerning, um, when did you come to know that, all right, God, this is, this is what you're calling me to?
1: That, that I've been asked that before. That took a while. I mean, I felt that initially I felt this is something I ought to try. And I, 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 I really love my father, and I, I always remember what he told me before I left for the seminary. He said, Anthony, you do what you want to do. He said, I'll be honest with you. I wanted you to be an electrical engineer. And my teachers wanted me to be a doctor," he said. Uh, "But you got to do what you want to do," he said. He said, "I want to say something to you. You want to be a priest? You go to the seminary and try to find out. But don't ever be afraid to come home mm-hmm. and tell me you don't want to be a priest." He said, "You do what you think God wants you to do. Don't ever be afraid of what I'm going to do." Cause you're my son. I love you no matter what you decide to do. Wow. And that was such a, a freeing moment. You know, I didn't feel under any pressure yeah. at all. And that helped me a great deal because uh, so I I was in class with guys who did not have that kind of response to their parents. And I felt so bad for them. Mm-hmm. They did everything out of fear. Mm-hmm. They had to get AIDS. They had a, you know, do certain things. They felt that I would their hands folded all the time. I actually made it, ask, you know. But, but that was a gift that they gave me. And um, I always te- te- teased my mother. I said, I'm glad St. Gregory's was six and a half hours away. He said, because I would have come home a lot more times. I said, every month, once a month, i probably decide to come home mm-hmm. because it was not easy. Yeah, I was in class with kids and, who had much more education about religion. I, you know, but uh, uh, I learned a lot in that process at the seminary. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so in the, in the high school, as you're discerning, what was your prayer life like then? Did you go to the chapel to pray? Did you just pray all the time? Before going to seminary? Yeah.
1: No, I never went to Okay. Uh, I mean, I went to chapel at Latin. Uh huh. Yeah, we had that chapel there, and the brothers asked uh, he got me to go daily mass. Yeah. They had mass before class mm-hmm. in the morning, so I went early, and I had to take the bus to school. And so I took the bus the early morning, to go to mass and then go to class. But uh I mean, that wasn't the same. You know, I always, and I say this honestly. for people who knew me when I was a teenager, they'd be very surprised that I'm a priest. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I gave any evidence of a religious <laughs> vocation at all. Uh, but that's the way God works.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like discernment was kind of a gradual growing Very process.
1: gradual. And there's no big moment you know, where I finger. I want you. None of that. The only time... Whenever it really came, came clear to me of what I was doing, I would say probably my second year of theology. All during college, uh, kind of have one foot in, one foot out. Okay. You know, you go home for a summer, I, and you didn't say I went to seminary, I went, I went to St. Charles College, mm-hmm. you know. And you want to do the same? <laughs> you want to do the same things all the other guys did. All your friends, you still have all those friends, uh-huh. and so you, you do that. And my brother pulled me aside one day, and he said, nah, "I never tell you what to do. He said, but I'm going to tell you something now I've been watching you." He said, "If you want to be a priest, then live." and act like you want to be a priest. If you don't, come home. Mm-hmm. But don't play one thing in the summer and one thing in the winter. You are who you are. And that's when I began realizing, you know, you don't ever stop being a priest. You know, just because you don't take your collar off and put the clothes on, you're still a priest. Mm-hmm. And you got to act like a priest and you got to think like a priest. And uh that's when... I start thinking, and then in, in that process, I remember saying, asking God to make it very clear to me, as much as it could be, that this is what I should do. And, uh, uh, and show me the way. And I had some spiritual directors who helped me because, you know, people, people always think, they talk about God telling them something. I get very nervous <laughs> when people say they talk to God, you know. Uh, I don't know about that. Some of these, some people used to come in to me and say, you know, God told me that I was supposed to do this. I said, well, that's fine. But when God tells me you're supposed to do it, <laughs> then we'll do it. <laughs> that's great. You, know, you got to be careful about that because huh. sometimes you're just talking to yourself. Yeah, and you're making God say what you want Him to say, mm. and I, I had to watch that. So, the way I came to understand it is, I began to really enjoy being who a priest is. Uh, it wasn't doing the things first. The first thing that impressed me is, gee, I'm going to be saying mass. In the sacraments, I'm going to have a, a, a special part in the life of the church. Uh, that, that's really something significant, and I, it it uh, it wasn't something about arrogance or pride. It, it was just all. Mm-hmm. That's first, and then when as I began to have tasks, uh, you know, I did them. I did it well. I said, well. Maybe that's what God wants me to do. They, give me, they tell me to do this, I do it, and I do it well. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. And if it became, gradually became, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. And so the question changes. For all the time before, the question is, should I be or should I not be? At, at that moment, it became not so much should I be or not be. It's, if I am, how do I be the best that I can be? Mm. That's when it, they all came together. Cause I, I mean, at the hard times, I never thought of quitting. Before, yeah, I did. You know, but, I, uh, uh, you know, I went through, uh, I, I understand what prejudice is. You know, uh, at the time I was growing up, most Catholics were Irish or German in
2: Cleveland.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm 100% Italian. And uh, I never heard words that people called me in the seminary. Because if you ever try to say those words in my neighborhood, you'd only say it once. You know. They'd break your knees. mm but uh, but I had a struggle with that because you know. Uh, uh, but God told me it got to be bigger than that. That's human beings. It's never going to. So even
0: in the seminary, you experienced.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and you know they, they use the, the names. You I won't offend you, yeah. but I never heard Dago or "wop." Those were words that were never used mm-hmm. in my house or in in my company. But when I went there, I heard those words. And uh, I had overcome them, but it, it was good for me because I had to do something very positive to overcome that. That's That's what I would talk. You know, I remember what my grandmother did. You talk to God. I asked God to help me be bigger than that. And, you know, I want to be a priest and if that's what's going to take tolerating that stupidity. Mm -hmm. That's what it is.
0: I want to talk just for a second about your, was this your older brother? Yeah. That, that said that, you know. Yeah. The only, only brother. Okay. Your brother. Yeah. Um, what an amazing, oh, yeah. insightful thing for a brother to say to oh, another
1: yeah. brother. He was, uh, he was not only insightful, but he's a man to fear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we had a wonderful relationship. You know, uh, when I went to the seminary, you know, he was going to college. And he, he got scholarships so out of state. But my mother said, you know, I can't lose both of my sons.
0: Mm.
1: I said, you know, one of you can go, but not both of you. So I said, well, let Anthony go to the seminary, and I'll go to John Carroll.
0: Yeah, wow. And th- that sense of awe that you talked about as a child, is it's continuing on. You know, now that you're in the seminary, you're experiencing awe as you learn even to serve the Mass. Oh, that
1: never ends. Mm-hmm. The, my uh, the my my most prayerful moment uh, was the first time I held a consecrated host in my hands. Uh, I was a deacon, and they asked me to do benediction mm. and I remember it it just hit me like a ton of bricks. you know finally, you know i I've been going to school but this this was without time it's not only theoretical anymore I'm doing this it's my hands you know and I just that was a a life-changing thing in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and the Eucharist is still those moments for me uh, I I would never have persevered without being able to say mass uh, uh That was the only time all the problems I had to deal with uh, were manageable because in the Eucharist, I always had to remember that I don't save anybody. God saves them. Mm. So all I can do is the best that I can do, but do it the way God wants me to do it because he'll save them. I don't know how, but he will. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that gave me a lot of strength and a lot of ability. You know, I had a job where most of the people thought you didn't know what you were doing and they could do it better than you do. That's just what people think, especially uh, uh, people who who are close to church frequently. You know, what's the bishop know about business? Mm-hmm. You know, huh? I, I hate to tell anybody, but, but we are the largest property owner in the state of Ohio. Yeah. And our gross national income was more than most of the corporations we were dealing with. And I know a little, <laughs> a little about bit about it. <laughs> you know, but we were just some, you know, idealistic cleric for most people. and Nice guy, but mm-hmm. you, know, you don't know what you're doing. So they they would go to meetings, you know, and I could just see them very patronizingly tell me what I ought to do. And And you just take it from um, until, you know, and you have to learn. One of the things I had to learn is how to say what I needed to say without being offensive, Uh, you know, because you can't snap at people. I mean, they're not doing out of malice. That's just who they are. So all these guys who run businesses are CEOs. They're telling people what to do every day. And so that's, that becomes mm-hmm. who they are. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to church, they're still the CEO. And they think they're going to run the church the way they run their business.
0: So I, I,
1: every once in a while I say, now look, fellas, you keep telling me that this is what we do in my business. I said, I'm not running the businesses. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to run the business, I could have run the business. I'm running a church. I'm a pastor. It's a difference. Your main goal is profit and productivity and success. My main goal is charity. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the inefficient way is more charitable. I could do a lot of things myself and do them better. But I have to involve as many people as I can because that's the way the church should operate but it's not, it's not the most efficient, you know. Democracy gets messy and involving people gets messy. Dictatorship's easy, but that's not Christ-like. You, know, so, uh, that, that's, you learn all of that in prayer. You know, I, uh, mass, when, I, when you say that, you, you start thinking uh, all the little gestures start becoming so much more meaningful you know when I offer the host and I offer the wine it's it's different than when I was younger mm. now I know what that means that's me I'm identifying with Christ that's what the priest is doing what does it mean for me now I can't be complaining and crying about these things that's what the Father's asking me to do And I got to do what Jesus did, you know? He did it even though he knew it was gonna be painful because he believed and trusted his father. And that's what I got to do. Not because I have all the answers, but I do have the confidence that God does. Hmm. And that gives me a lot of strength because I don't have to do it myself. I just know I got to do what he's asking me to do and he'll take care of the rest. So that helped me a lot.
0: You know, in high school, you mentioned that you made a shift in question from um, should I be a priest or should I not be a priest to
1: how do I be a good one?
0: How do I be a good one? Yeah. Um, so that during that time is your information now. Um, were there any teachers or spiritual directors or priests that um, kind of helped you grow in your prayer life?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, prayer life? Yeah, because they, they were perfect men. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you have someone you admire, you, you tend to imitate. So, I, you know, everybody just uh, you know, a lot of times they, you know what it's like. Uh, sometimes they, they get tired and go to bed and forget to mm-hmm. stay in the office, literally mm-hmm. hours. But I, the, the priest I grew up with that wasn't. The, that was something you did because it's, it's not just your, your personal private prayer. Mm-hmm. That's liturgical prayer. It's the prayer of the universal church. And if you don't participate in that, you're harming the spirituality of the universal church. Mm-hmm. So I say it every day.
0: And then as you move from uh, college to graduate school, Any developments there? Yeah, I I think
1: that's that's when it took a big turn, too, because I thank God for the theology programs Mm -hmm. that I went through. Because uh, everything became much more meaningful when I knew the theology behind it. I knew why I was doing it. And that was so enriching. So enriching. And one of my theology professors once said in a lecture, and I, I wrote it down, and he said, don't forget, the ultimate end of theology is to help your prayer life to get better. Huh. I said, oh, not just give them right answers. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, and he said, a lot of people know about God. But I want you to know, not only to learn about God in this class, but I hope eventually you will know God—not just about Him. Wow! And that's that told me what prayer is really about—not just knowing about God, just knowing God, yeah, being associated with God. It's a big difference.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. So now you're coming towards the end of seminary and being ready uh, to be ordained a priest. Any final like uh, confirmations from God or clarifications, or was it that continual just yes?
1: No. No. I, I, uh, the, I remember when, after when it was coming to name right before and, and when I was ordained, the only thing I, uh, that helped, me a lot is uh, I came from a very loving family. You know, I, I really felt bad. Some of my, I went to school in Cincinnati and I couldn't come home except for the summer vacation because it was six and a half hours one way. So when we had free days, like Thanksgiving, I couldn't come home. Mm-hmm. And sometimes my brother couldn't drive my parents back. Um, uh, and I had to go to visit with some of my classmates who lived in the Cincinnati area. And some of them, you know, it was not the kind of family life that I was used to. Yeah. When I when I went home, my mother was there, my father was there, my godmother was there, my godfather was there, and my mother's best friend and her husband were there. I had Three mothers and three fathers. Not one time during those 11 years when I went home, that wasn't the case. I never felt I was unloved. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like the king coming (laughs) home, you know. And uh, it it was just that really helped me understand. And eventually, and my brother helped me understand it, it wasn't just me. It was I'm being a priest. And what it meant to them, that taught me a lot about the gift I was being given. Mm. I was just a little, little Anthony. I said, well, not anymore. You know, the, the, being a priest meant so much to the people I really cared about. I said, this is really something. Mm. And and when I got ordained, of course, it was, I, it was uh, like a dream that whole week. And then the big thing is actually doing it. Once once you you know, you get it's close when you're a deacon, and it's close, but until you're a priest, you know, it's uh, it's different. Mm. You may know how to baptize, you may know how to how to fill out a form, but the the people part of it, until they come to you as a priest you don't know how it really is. Mm-hmm. Then it's a whole different game. And that was so enriching. I I can't think of any other way. I don't know of any other vocation where you have the experience of really helping somebody. You can make money, you can do all But of really making a difference in somebody's life, there's not too many ways, jobs that can give you that experience. Mm -hmm. But the priests, every time you deal with somebody and make them go away at peace or feeling better, you've made a big difference. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's how I really became, yeah, this is what I want to be.
0: Tell us a little bit more about that first week of priesthood.
1: Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it, I was, I was assigned, first of all, you had, uh, they get, you get about two weeks after ordination. And uh, uh, then I got a letter with, uh, a wax seal on the back. Whenever you got a letter from the chancellor that was sealed with a wax seal, that was the letter you've you got to be careful about. So I said, you will report to St. Bartholomew's on such and such a date. And had two weeks. So I reported, and I was a Middleburg guy to my senior, Saunders, who was a pastor. He never had an associate. I was the first associate. So he was very happy to have some help. So I was all excited about it. <laughs> and he said, you know, when we're in the rectory, you don't have to dress up. You, you can have a sports shirt on if you want. But when we do official things, we should be dressed professionally. So I was in the rectory and I had my sports shirt Doorbell rang. And in my youthful enthusiasm, I went down to answers, you know. And I opened the door. and there's a, a guy there, standing there. a businessman. He looked. He looked in there, and he said, uh, "Say, Sonny, is there a priest in the house?" <laughs> that was my introduction. To, I said, "Oh boy, <laughs> that that was so funny." Uh, but the, that that was that's good though. He, as I think about it and I reflected on it, then you know, humility is not. It's a good thing to have. You can't take yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be able to laugh stuff like that off, and don't get mad. Yeah, because that, that, it, that's that's life. That's life, and the, the, the second Sunday, Monsignor Saunders was about six three. And everything in that church was built for a priest of 6'3". I'm obviously not 6'3". So the second Sunday I was there, the ushers said, let us know when you're going to go out for Mass. I said, yeah, I'll let you know. He said, but don't come out right away. I said, okay. So they rang the bell. They said the bell you ring when you leave the sacristy. And these uh, four ushers very ceremoniously carried a wooden platform and carried it over to the pulpit and put it on the ground. And the guy, the usher, gets up and says, Bishop Pilla, this is the honor of you because all the people in the parish have heard you, but not all of them have seen you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, it, but at the same time, what balances it off? Uh, I love hearing confessions. I, that's uh, I can't tell you. It's just so it's so enriching to free people from guilt, yeah, and give them some peace, and don't make them feel like they're dirt. That, that make them feel like they're they're really good people trying, and God. That's all God wants you to do. The reason he gave us the sacrament he knew we weren't going to be able to always do what we're supposed to do so we do that. you know those are the moments that that you treasure and so many beautiful things uh, one old priest told me what well, if you're hearing confessions from three to five you stay in the confessional from three to five I said well you know I said okay." One Saturday I remember uh, I was in there at 3 o'clock and not many people came. I forget what it was. I was getting close to 5 and there wasn't many people coming. I said, I think I'm going to go. I know you're sitting there. And I remember that priest somewhere. so Says, I said, no, I better sit here. And about uh, one minute to 5 somebody came in. And he said, I'm glad you're still here, Father. He said, I've been walking back and forth outside, deciding whether I can come in or not. He said, and then I finally decided to come in. You know, and he said, I'm glad you're here. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I was there, too. By the time that confession was over, I knew God runs his business, not me. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: So now you're a priest. Um, any significant moments of growth in prayer during priesthood?
1: Yeah, every Mass is a significant moment. Yeah, I, I don't know what I do without that. Uh, but I would say that Eucharistic moments are the prayer, most prayerful moments for me. I think they ought to be for every priesthood, mm-hmm. uh, And I think for every person. Because that's the most intimate uh, encounter with God. You you can't get any closer than eating. And the beautiful thing is, when we eat in the Eucharist, it's different. Usually we eat in food. The food becomes who we are. In the Eucharist, when we Mm. participate in the Eucharist, we become what we eat mm. and that's how you gradually grow spiritually. yeah. So you, you keep trying to be more Christ-like so that you' you're more the more appropriate to celebrate. And there's no end to how you do that and there's no particular handbook. It, it, a lot of that depends on where you are in your life at what stage. You know, people should never look at anybody else and say, boy, that person's holy and I don't do anything like that. Maybe he's better than me. No, I don't. Those externals, don't pay attention to those externals. Mm -hmm. You never compare yourself because God judges you, not anybody else. And he doesn't have a, a platelet that he puts you in to see if you fit. He judges you as long as you're trying, it's on your merits. And you may not look like, you know, just because he has his hands folded or he's kneeling all the time, that doesn't mean he's praying more than you. You know, I, my mother, grandmother prayed more than anybody, and she never could kneel down, mm-hmm. but uh, I knew she was a lot closer to God than I was.
0: So, what would you say to
1: somebody that?
0: doesn't understand the mass or doesn't get anything as they would say out of the yeah. mass.
1: Well, I would say, in my, if you recall, I said, theology is a great experience for me because the more I learned about things about God, the more I appreciated God. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the mass. Most people don't get anything out of mass because you're not supposed to get anything out of the mass. The Mass is a time for you to give to God, yourself and our world and everything else. But they're always looking for the Mass for something going to happen to them. Mm. You know, and uh, so I think what they got to think, of, they have to learn about what the Eucharist is and what the Mass is. And there's a lot of good material now at, at different levels. And people really ought to get some book and maybe ask the priest and don't try to read it all at once but just read a small piece every night, think about it and then when you're going to Mass, think about what you read and try to practice it a little better so when you're going to Mass you know, it's what it's you've got to give something, it's an opportunity for you, Christ is there and if Christ is there, we've got it all. But, you know, so you don't have to have drums and trumpets and everything else. That's sounds all good if it's done well. But that's not the mass. And it shouldn't be you going there because you like the music mm-hmm. or even because the, he's a good preacher. you uh, you it's a blessing if he is, or it's a blessing if you have amazing. But God is there. That's what you ought to focus on. And all this is helping me to appreciate God's presence. If it's just a distraction, you're seeking entertainment. You're not worshiping. Mm -hmm. It's a difference. You're not going to a show when you go to Mass. You're going to worship. And that contact God, like I was saying. Even if you don't say anything, it'd it'd be fine if you knew what you were doing. Uh, You know, if you really knew what you were doing and what you were witnessing, it would be overwhelming. You know, everyone says, remember that crucifixion of the Christ? I went to see that movie. And uh, I I remember when the movie was over, there was almost silence in the theater. Mm. Oh, the passion, yeah. Yeah, passion of the Christ, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was silence. People walked out of church quiet. You know, I said, that's the way our church ought to go every Sunday. Hmm. If we the movie made it real for us. But you gotta remember that's what happened, and he did it for you. So if he was willing to die for you, why do you need all this music and all this other stuff? It's it's good because we should put the the best that we can in our environment to make it as welcoming and attractive as possible. But it should never become a substitute. For the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. The, the big thing you got to stress is the presence of Christ, not who plays the guitar. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's not, I, I'm afraid our people don't have that. I think a lot of our people, it, 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 they're so used to, our world is so used to, everything's entertainment. Mm-hmm. We don't really have news anymore. Even a news shows, it's a show. You're, you're yeah. going to be on for a show. I never. When I was growing up, they never called a news program a show, because it was straight news. And now there's no such thing. No such thing. Everything's got to be entertaining. And if you want to, be a be success, you got to be a good entertainer. But that's not what religion's all about. It's not being good is not. It's not always entertaining. That's good. Being a good Catholic is going to cost you some. uh, No free lunch as a Catholic. To be good, you're going to have to make sacrifices. Same thing with what Christ did. He said, if you want to be good, take up your cross and follow me. Every day. That's not entertainment. That's dedication. But our, our folks are so used to that. And so when they go to church, that's what they expect. Even in schools now, teachers got to be entertainers. Mm -hmm. You know, a straight lecture that people don't like. Everything's got to be fun, entertainment, different. And we got to watch that. See, that's the advertising world. And the advertising world is manipulative. And much of our society is manipulative.
0: You know, it's interesting because you... um you have such a sense of awe at the Eucharist, and, and yet that's
1: totally different than entertainment. Oh, totally different. Yeah. Because it's not entertainment, Is how you feel. You know, the, it makes me feel funny and laughing, but uh, it, it's a, in religion, the focus is not just on me. It's how good God has been to me mm-hmm. and how good God is. See, when you're in an entertainment, you don't think it's how good the singer is. You just like to hear the music. Mm-hmm. But when I pray to God, I'm focusing on how good God is. You, you forget the music, and it changes every year. But uh, God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow.
0: And, you know,
1: so much in our life really has a short lifespan. There's one thing that will be there forever, and that's God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that we need that. And I think part of our problem today is that people kind of forgot that. They're always looking, you know, this, they have the standards of the world. And the standards of the world are, are are there for so such different reasons, and you know, too many people get their notion about religion from the media, from celebrities. I, I remember give I'll give you an example. I was at a conference once. Uh, I was at a table with uh, with. About five CEOs. I think there were six of us at the table. And uh, Warren Buffett was the main speaker. And he started, he started talking. He gave a good talk about business. But then he he went off on a tangent on religion. And I sat there listening. And, you know, I, 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 uh, It wasn't sounding right to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, afterwards, uh, 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 the people at the table were talking about it. And one of the guys says, you know, he started talking about religion. I said, why is he talking about religion? What's he know about religion? And one of the people at the table said, (coughs) excuse me, what do you mean what he knows about religion? He's a billionaire, isn't he? <laughs> that, that's the way our world thinks. He knows everything because he's a billionaire. He didn't know squat about religion. <laughs> yeah. uh, at least that remark was not very intelligent.
0: Yeah. So you, that's our world. You're a priest for only a couple of years at the parish, right? Before you go to the seminary. Nine months. Nine, it was nine months. <sighs> uh
1: that uh, was hard. Yeah. I love being parish priest. I really did. But I was out playing tennis on my day off. And my senior son called me. My brother says, he, he came to get me at the test court. He says, that. my senior son says, yes, talk to you. So I, I called him. he says, you better come home. Because one of those letters is on your desk with the wax seal. I said, okay. So I went home and opened it up. In two weeks, you will report to Borromeo Seminary to teach. There were no personnel boards, no consultation. <laughs> <laughs> Those things did not exist. You will report in two weeks. I was crushed. I mean, I really love being free stuff, but, you know, you, you take a vow of obedience. Uh-huh. I went, I remember about, I was at Borromeo for about three weeks and Bishop Crowell, Car- leader Cardinal Crowell, he was the auxiliary bishop at that time. And he said, Father Pillow, how are you enjoying your assignment here at Mail? And I said, well, Bishop, to be honest with you, I really miss being a parish priest. He said, well, young man, that's the romance of the priesthood. You do what you're told, and you be happy doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so much human understanding.
0: And then you're at the seminary for how long? Fourteen years. Fourteen years, and and that, and then you become a bishop. Our bishop?
1: No, oh, uh, I became. Uh, I was on Bishop Hickey's staff. Which okay, is personnel, charge of personnel. And then I became, uh, I had, was in that job for about seven years and, uh, I thought it's, that's enough because it, it was a job where you had to deal with all, all the problems. So it's a large extent.
0: Yeah. Any, um, growth in your prayer life during that time?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was a, a blessing for me. And I learned a lot about prayer that time, you know, my, I had to do a lot for people with addictions. And I learned you never give up on people who are trying. I remember I sent one priest away to a program for alcoholics. And I I looked at his record. And we had sent him to 10 other programs in his career. So I was sending him for the 11th. I said, you're tempted to say, well, this is a lost Mm. cause. I said, no. And that 11th one did it. Mm. He finally became sober, stayed sober. The best years of his priestly life, wow. and I said I, when I saw so when when I went to prayer, and I used to pray whenever I, before I would send a priest anywhere, you know. When I went to prayer with that one, I said, "Help me to learn, you know. As long as a human being wants to try, don't give up on him. You, know? you keep that's that's God's business. Like Mother Teresa said, it's not up to us to be successful." It's up to us, you know, to make the effort. Be faithful. Success and be faithful. It's up to God, you know, and uh, you got to remember that. We always think we're going to do it, but God, God can do it. You could be there ten different ones for some reason. God says now's the time, and that it worked.
0: Yeah, so if you're listening to this now and you you know are helping someone or need need the help, just know that God God is faithful. Yeah, and He'll get you through it, and you can always try again,
1: and never give up. I mean, there's a Catholic one. A Catholic should never despair. A Catholic should never give up. A Catholic should always hope, because. God is God, and as long as God is God, there's always a possibility of better. Don't ever give up, and don't don't be too hard on yourself. Sometimes you get too hard on yourself, and uh, I, I feel bad for some of our people these days, too, because being a Catholic is so counterculture mm-hmm. with everything they see and they're under so much pressure socially to live lifestyles that are not consistent with Catholic teaching and there's always that pressure to do things that you know you shouldn't be doing and uh, I understand that because social pressure is terrible uh, But the people that hang in there, don't don't think that it isn't worth it. You gotta trust God. If God has to do it and you did it for God, then you know God's never outdone in generosity. Whatever you do for God, you're gonna get back a hundredfold.
0: So encouraging. Bishop, to hear from you about that in terms of uh, well, even being the vicar for clergy, that you looked at guys and were always wanting to give them another shot, you know, to help them
1: out, and that's what God is, you know. That, that's what I, that's what you get in prayer. God didn't give up anybody, mm. you know. In fact, who did He come to? He came to the prostitutes. He came to the poor people. He came to the liver. Everyone else, nobody wanted to deal with. That's who he came to. Hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you've forgotten. The world has forgotten about it. In, in 4,000 years, they've forgotten about all the great people. of the, But they forget about God, Jesus Christ.
0: So now we move into bishop. Yeah. Did you ever think you'd be a bishop?
1: Nope. Never wanted to be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you, you? I'm sure you didn't have a choice, but you, you get asked, you know, was there any turning to God and saying, God, is this? Yeah, I
1: I, I was. I told you I was a bit on Bishop Hickey's staff. And I had been secretary for the clergy for seven years. And I was really feeling that, I, you know, I had to get away and do the normal things. It was making me somebody I I, I wasn't too happy with. Mm -hmm. Because you're in that stuff all the time. So I said, maybe it's time for a change. Better for the priest, better for me. So I went in to see Bishop Hickey. And, you know, uh, Joan of Arc, Chagrin Falls. Mm -hmm. The pastor, John Wolf, there was retiring. So I said, I think that's a nice place to go to. So I went in to see Bishop Hickey, and I said, Bishop, I, I've been doing this for seven and a half years, I and I understand. I think I need that. There ought to be a change. The change be good for me. Be good for you. Be good for the church. And he said, "I understand John Wolfe's retiring, and I'd like to be considered there when you're considering who all of everybody else I are. Mean, he just looked at me and smiled, and I. Think, you know, I said, I'm serious. Why are <laughs> you smiling at me? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I left. He said, okay, uh, well, I'll talk to you. And that was it. And so I went out of the room, and I, and I wasn't too happy. Because <laughs> I said, oh, that's kind of serious stuff. And I thought, oh. oh, well, two days later, I said, Beshiki wants to see you. And he wants to see you privately. Okay. So I went in and said, Bishop, you want to see me? He said, yeah. He says, have a seat. I said, yeah. Said, You're going to be my next auxiliary bishop. <laughs> that was as, as fancy as it gets. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? He said, yep. He said, that, that's why I didn't, I didn't respond when you came in and asked about it because I, I, I had the letter already oh, gee, that the Pope had wow. sent me, but I couldn't tell you that it was too early.
2: <laughs>
1: so, that, then, you know that that was it. So, and he said, uh, uh, "You have uh, two days to respond to the nuncio but I hope you, you say yes." So I had to go home and pray. You know. So yeah, what it, do you
0: do? How do you how do you pray?
1: Well, you see, if you're not everything is a big deal bishop being a bishop big deal in their mind you know and in in america that's upward mobility you know uh, upward mobility didn't mean, it meaning make any sense to me friend right? i'm not in this mm-hmm. to have upward mobility i knew too much about what being a bishop contained cuz i worked you knew yeah yeah i said this is not what most people think Why? it is right so i said but so I, I just, I, I asked Bishop Picky if I could ask him a question. He said, yeah. I said, Bishop, you know, a lot of good priests in this style. Why me? He said, well, I consulted the priests, you know, sent a letter out, and the majority of the priests recommended you. And I remember going home. And I brought that to prayer, and I said, no. I said, it's not so much me saying yes, but how can I say no to God and to a majority of priests? You know, I love my brother priests. If they want me to do it, can I really say, I don't, want, I don't want to help you, I don't want to do it for you? I said, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I said, yes. That's so the way it was. And then uh, a year and a half later, I was at a meeting in Washington. And I got to my hotel room and a red light was blinking, a message. Please call this number. I called the number. It was the nuncio's office. Cardinal Laghi at that time. He said, are you by yourself? I said, yes, Cardinal. I, I'm by myself. He said, uh, sit down. I said, yes. He said, the Pope just informed me that you're the next bishop of Cleveland. So, again, he had two days. And it was the same the same thing same reason so I I said you know I, I couldn't think of any reason that wasn't selfish in my mind all the reason I ever heard of saying no we're all selfish mm-hmm. and I said uh, that's not Christ like I think I got do it gotta do what you got to do
2: that was it
0: so, would prayer for you in that instance be just running through those moments
1: yeah you spend a lot of time you know I just spent, I would go to chapel and just sit there and not say too much, but I have a conversation with with the lord i I would go over all the reasons why I should and all the reasons why I'm reluctant and it became very clear that I just said. And when I when I was listing all the things why I shouldn't, it was all me, 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 you know, it's gonna be hard on me, gonna be, you know, I'll, I said, no, that's not what I'm all about. I'm not supposed to be all about that. I'm not supposed to be other centered, not self-centered. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you got, then when you feel I always kept working at it until I felt at peace. That's why I tell people that too. Don't make decisions until you're at peace with the answer. Keep struggling with it. Keep working at it until you have some inner peace. And you get to a point, I got to a point where I wasn't afraid to do something that I knew was way beyond my ability, way beyond my base scale. But I also knew, That if God is asking me to do it, God's not going to ban me. He doesn't make you a bishop and then walks away. He's going to be there with all the grace necessary for me to be a good bishop if I try to be. And when you get to that moment, then peace comes. And then you say, You know, I always remember John's the 23rd. You remember that famous line? He wrote, his book on his labor, his letters. He said, every, every night he, before oh, he went yeah. to bed, yeah. God, I'm the Pope. I did the best that I could do. I can't do any more. It's your church. I'm going to sleep. You take care every of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's, that's simple. It's funny, but it's, that's the way it works. I, I, I didn't know it all. I just had to trust that you know, I, I, remember I taught history and I remember, I think it was Andrew Carnegie. Somebody asked him how he was successful in business. And he said, I, I think I was successful in business because I always hired people who were smarter than me and then I let them do their job and didn't bother them. And I remembered that. So I said, oh. It probably applies to being a bishop too. I I don't know all this, but there's a lot of priests, a lot of other people who know a lot more about certain things than I do. Bring them around you and listen to them and let them do their job. Yeah, and you were well known for that as bishop. You were bishop for uh, what years? I was diocesan bishop for 27, and I'm a bishop for 42 years And a priest or
0: 62. Yeah. So your time now as diocesan bishop, you went, you took us through a lot of just everything going on in the world and the church, a lot of different things. Um, what was your prayer life like then as a bishop? Very intense.
1: I mean, that, that was, the, I had to do that because I felt so helpless, you know. I had to constantly remind myself that God will show me the way, <coughs> and God will will help me. It's not just me. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I um, I prayed more during the. You learn more about prayer in times of suffering than you do in times of success. Yeah, you understand why Christ had to die on the cross. Mm. You know, he could have done it any way he wanted to. but uh, I, I know what suffering is. And being willing to do that for people is the best thing you can do. There's gut suffering. And that's no good. That's just gut pain. Doesn't do you any good. and Don't let anybody tell you, offer it up. It hurts. But Christ taught us there's redemptive suffering. Redemptive suffering is when you suffer for a greater good or for other people. That makes all the difference in the world. So I always had to come to prayer to transform the suffering I was going through from gut suffering Mm -hmm. to redemptive suffering. Mm
0: -hmm. And then before we kind of just summarize things, now as a Bishop Emeritus, you're retired. Uh, What's your prayer life been like as a retired?
1: Oh, better. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, before, I, I had a schedule, mm-hmm. you know, because if I didn't, I wouldn't pray because there's so much to do that if you don't set aside some time, it goes the day's gone, you know. And even when you do pray, you're so distracted by everything you've done all day. A lot of that stuff keeps coming back, like you're trying to pray and all these numbers are in your head and all, <laughs> all that stuff. It's very hard to clear the mind, you know clear the shelf it it is very hard, but when you're retired it took about a year to do that but now uh, you know i don't have my mind's not that cluttered mm-hmm. i mean it is but not not as bad it, when you're retired and you get older you have to you think more about yourself and your life. So that sometimes can preoccupy you. But it's, it's not that business stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, and there's no special time. You know, that's why I have these statues around. I mean, every time I pass by, you are surrounded. Yeah, you know, every time I pass by, you can, I don't care what time it is. You're retired? want I say a prayer? For any time you want.
0: So I just want to ask you a few questions on, in terms of prayer, in terms of the encounter with a personal God that we believe in um, one God, three persons, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And we'll t- a little bit about Mary too, but what's your experience with, could you t- just share a little bit about w- how do you see or perceive the father, the son, and, and the Holy Spirit
1: in terms of your your prayer life. Well, that's why I say the theology has helped me a great deal with that. Uh, First of all, you have to acknowledge that it's a mystery. Mm -hmm. And I don't care how smart you are, how experienced you are, you're never going to understand the mystery, how that all can happen, that you never get stuck in that. That's why some of these scientists who are atheists, you know, they get lost because they want. To, for them, they have to have a reason. If there's no reason, it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, they could be brilliant physicists, but they don't believe in God. But I, and, and you have to watch that as a priest and as a Catholic. You know, because our culture makes us comfortable only when we know all the details. Until we know all the details, we kinda of hold back a little mm-hmm. and we do that with religion. So if I can't understand it, it's a fairy tale. No, I didn't you gotta be careful about that. So that that's very important for me. So when I think about God, I always have to remind myself that I'm never Gonna understand it completely. And we would know even less about God if it we're not for Jesus Christ. If you, the whole reason for his coming and the whole reason for the incarnation, Jesus coming as a man was to teach us who God is. And if you read the, I will urge people read the New Testament with, with that point in mind. Everything Jesus is saying, he's trying to tell us who God is. You know, when he starts talking about the greatest of these is charity, well, that was a whole new message to the world. But Jesus was telling us that's who God is all about. So I keep reminding myself that it's a mystery. So when I when I talk about Jesus, I don't get lost in well, who's Jesus in relationship to the Father? Who's Jesus in relationship to the Holy Spirit? I know theologically what that is, but I, I I can't comprehend it. But I don't get lost in that. That is not a distraction, and that doesn't diminish my appreciation of God. It just convinces me that I will never understand God and I'm looking forward to the beatific vision because then I will know much more clearly than I know now. I won't know it all totally, but I'll know much more clearly than I know now who God is. But in, but Jesus taught us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, I pray to Jesus, understanding that he is equal with God, but he also was truly human. And it was God showing me how to live a human life. So, if I want to live the best human life that I can, who else to teach me that but God? And God has taught me that by the incarnation. That's how I focus on. And then Jesus also said, you know, he, he had to go back because he was going to send a paraclete who would tell us all the things that, that needed to be told. And the Holy Spirit is there to enrich our lives and lighten our minds to appreciate who God is and how we ought to be and to assure us that his grace is there to help us and enlighten us. And I don't get lost in how that can happen because that's beyond me. That's the mystery. That's, he's, the reason why uh, that's there is because God's God. I'm not. i got to stop playing God. You know, just be a human being, a good human being. Don't try to be God.
0: And then how about with Mary and the saints? Do you have any devotion?
1: Oh, yeah. There's nothing like a mother. I mean, I, I just keep going back. In the human family, who's the heart of the, really, the whole the whole operation? You know? And gee, gee, God was telling us something. Well, when he wanted to come and be our savior and take humanity to do that, he came through a woman, a mother. Well, if God decided to do it that way, he's trying to tell us something about who a mother is and, you know, how we can be the best we can. And I just, I said, you know, I, when I talk to the blessed mother, it's it's different than when I talk to anybody else. And you know, uh, any he's saying anything else. she's something very special because I I consider her my mother. I talk to her like I talked to my mother, and I think she understands me like my mother understood me, and nobody understood me like my mother did. You know, and uh, I I thank God and blessed mother because that's. And that's the beauty of it. It's the Blessed Mother that keeps the human institution really human. She's always, always there. She's there like a mother is. I remember when I went out my mother, when I was in the tough days of my bishop, and when the newspapers and everybody else was all over me, I went home from my day off my mother topped the steps she always waited for me she said how are you doing I said well oh, it's been a rough day she says oh yeah rough day forget about it what do you want to eat <laughs> what do you want to eat I said well I didn't and you know all that stuff kind of just fell off <laughs> what do you want to eat I got back to the essentials she said don't worry about all that stuff they don't know anything <laughs> that's the way that's what a mother does and she could calm me down like nobody else could calm me down and it makes a world of difference huh she taught me so much about what what uh, love really is all about my mom lived to uh, 93 and she was 91 she had some heart issues and uh I remember we had to take her into the hospital, and after the doctors examined her, they said uh, we really—if we don't do some surgery—it's going to be one of these instances that's going to take her. He said, "Well, we, we think we can do some surgery that could help her." So he said, "I, I think it'd be best if it came from the family." So. My brother looks at me, you tell him. (laughs) No one wanted to tell him, he said, you tell him. So I said, okay. So I went into the room, and she was in the bed, and I said, Mom, the the doctors had a meeting with Joe and me, my brother Joe. He said, uh, he had a serious little, little heart attack, that they need to do some surgery, otherwise... You know, you could have another one of those and it would be bad. She said, surgery? She said, I'm 91 years old. It's time for me to go with your father. You know, it's time for me to, I've I've lived that long. I said, well, I said, you think about it. You think about it. And then she, she sat there and she said, uh, Anthony, what do you think? <laughs> Should I have the surgery? I said, well, Mom, to be honest with you, I know you want to die, but you know, I, I need you. You know, Joe's got his family. You're my family. I said, when you're gone, for me, that's it. And uh, I said, I'd like to have you around a little more. And she said, she just saved for a couple of minutes. She said, well, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. And she had search surgery. Mm-hmm. And that told me something. You know, it wasn't, she didn't do it because she wanted to do it. She did it because I needed it. I mean, that's what life's all about. And that's what mothers can teach you. And their, mothers are doing that all the time. You know, all the time they're doing that. And so uh, that's the way I think about Mary. I, I, you know, the crucifixion, I always I always think of the crucifixion with her standing at the foot of the cross. What that must have been like to see your flesh and blood go through all, all of that and, and come out with, you know, still holy. Terrific. Yeah, and at the and same time... Who understands it. you better than your mother? Mm-hmm. And she's been so important to the church and mm-hmm. all the significant times she's intervened in the history of the church. Right. I don't know how you have a spirituality without devotion to Mary.
0: Yeah, and she's given to us there at the foot
1: of the cross to be our mother. Yeah. Woman and, and that's, you know... So, there's got to be something about being a mother that, that's special. Mm.
0: And there you is. You know, it's very comforting for me, even to hear you talk about your mother when you would go home during difficult times and she was able to set you at ease. Yeah. It, I can it, see Mary And nobody
1: about. can do that. I mean, you know, and, and I know, you know, after a while, people know it too. So, um, if the editors of the newspaper would come to dinner, you know, they knew my mother didn't have an unpublished thought. <laughs> and she would let it happen. You wrote that story about my son. <laughs> but, you know, how who loves you that way? Yeah. Uh, it's funny.
0: Well, last question, what would you encourage someone who wants to grow in their prayer life? What would you encourage them to do or who's struggling in their prayer life? um, What would your encouragement be?
1: Well, first of all, most people who are struggling, don't ever give up because we interpret struggling as wasted time because we're not doing what we'd like to do. But again, that's the way we think. Remember, prayer is what God thinks is more important. And God knows it's easy to pray when you're good at it or when it comes very peacefully. It's very hard to pray when you struggle. Mm -hmm. But as far as God is concerned, it may be, more sanctifying you know uh, the agony in the garden that was real bloody sweat that wasn't wasted i mean that wasn't hollywood there weren't angels singing in choirs you know that was gut pain and bruising pain so don't ever give up and if you're struggling with prayer I would urge you to, if you have a spiritual director or even someone close to you who knows you very well, try to find out why you're struggling. Because some people struggle because they're looking for the wrong thing in prayer. Some people, remember the gospel says if we pray, God answers every prayer. But the problem is we got to understand he answers every prayer the way he thinks is best for us. That bothers us. Because we understand if he's answering our prayer, it means he's going to do what I asked him to do. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're looking for God to do what they tell him to do. And that's not the way the equation works. you got to listen to see what God wants you to do. So maybe, again, you're asking too much, or talking too much, and you're not listening. God is answering your prayers. You're not hearing them. So, think about that a little bit. Why? Uh, or maybe that you're, you're sick. A lot of people who are sick struggle. Because when you're sick, it's hard to pray. Mm-hmm. I remember when I had my heart surgery. You can't pray. That's I, I, a funny thing, but You just can't concentrate long enough to pray. But that doesn't mean it was wasted. That doesn't mean it was wasted. Uh, So there's no such thing as an unheard prayer. And there's no such thing as a bad prayer. Or there's no such thing as not a good enough prayer. That's all our talk. That is not the way God looks at it. Every prayer is worthwhile. Every prayer God hears. And every prayer God will bless you for. It. And the harder it is, in a sense, the better it is. Because he knows you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it in worship of him. So um, make sure you're looking at prayer the right way and evaluating your prayer According to the right standards, it's it's not uh, it's not like playing a violin or you know where you can uh, have somebody see if you're hitting the right notes and stuff like that. And you can't measure that. You just got to be so convinced mm. that God loves me. Don't ever 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 be afraid of God. God loves you and there's nothing you can do to make him stop loving you. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you did. God loves you and will forgive you and will help you be better. Don't ever worry about that. And so when you're praying, maybe you don't feel all that and Uh, maybe it's because you have to learn a few more things about prayer, but don't ever think you're wasting your time. That's
0: so profound that um, often the most powerful prayer is just when we are struggling in prayer. So many people I think will judge their prayers not being good or effective because they're distracted. Or or they're
1: they're, bad people Yeah, and God Mm -hmm. doesn't listen. Uh, See, we've got to be careful about the norms we use. God loves the sinner. You remember, he said he didn't come into the world for the people who didn't need a Savior. He came into the world for the people who didn't need a Savior.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So uh uh don't think about God the way we think about each other. Don't treat God the way we treat each other. God is above all that smallness. God doesn't get even. God doesn't want to hurt you. God is doesn't, isn't going to hold it over your head forever and rub your nose in the dirt. That's not God. God is a loving father. What Jesus taught, the prodigal son, he ran out and made his son. You know, that's the way God is. God's love and mercy. That's, uh, and, and when God says that, You know, what else do you need? If God loves you, what else do you need? There's a lot of people in this world that never experienced love. And they're the saddest people. They don't have anybody that loves them. And we have God that loves us. What a gift our faith is. You know, I I remember I went to the I used to say mass at the prisons. I went to the women's prison one Christmas, and uh, the warden asked me to meet with some prisoners just to have a little talk. So they had about 10 women in there, and a couple of them were really young. And there's a girl in there, she was, uh, I think she was about Twenty years old, and she had uh, three or four illegitimate children already, and she was in there for addiction. So after everybody else left, I, I went and stopped to see her, and I said, "You know, you're you're not even twenty years old. You already had three three, I think she's three or four illegitimate children." I so why do you do that? She looked at me. She said, Reverend, when I was young, the first thing I remember my mother saying to me was, she did not love me. She did not want me. She did not love me. I have all those children because I need somebody to love me. And those little babies love me. I need to be loved. It changed my whole perspective. I didn't say what she did is right, but I understood it a lot better. Everybody needs that. But this, most Catholics don't realize the gift they have. That God loves you. In baptism, he, he's forgiven your sins. He gives you the promise of eternal life in the Eucharist they there for you whenever you want them. You think all the, God, all the people would love to have that and don't have that. I, uh, you remember Dorothy full time? Yeah. Oh, she, she was a famous uh, commentator in Cleveland. And a uh, very strong woman. But she was not, everybody thought she was Jewish. She, had, she was Jewish background, but she was a, an atheist. She didn't believe in God. And uh, I used to go to events and and she would be at the events the too. And invariably, if I went to the event and there was a dinner, who was sitting next to me at the dinner table would be Dorothy Fulton. Sam Miller was a great friend of mine. They were they were friends. Every time I would go to Sam's house, she would be there. And she always sat next to me at the dinner. And invariably, when she sat next to me, we ended up talking about religion. She was fascinated with it, really. She didn't believe it. She had a daughter that was a, a, a handicapped child, sp- special needs child. I guess. And she had that daughter in, in every school in the country to get the best treatment and care that you could get. And that daughter died. And she called me up and said, i got to talk to you. So I went over to see her, and she said, you know, you know my daughter died. The only reason I, I worked as hard as I did was to provide for my daughter. I worked hard. And everything I did was to help my daughter. Now my daughter's gone. I've got nothing to live for. Everything's at an end for me. I got nothing to live for. Says, you Catholics believe that there's an afterlife, that you'll be with your loved ones again. She said, I don't believe that. I envy you so much. For me, it's all over. For you, you have a future life. She says, you don't know how much I would love to believe what you believe. When I went home that night, I said, don't make me complain about anything anymore. Said, Here's a brilliant woman, highly successful in her profession, and it's missing. Something essential is missing. You could be all the money in the world, you could be all the fame in the world, but she did not have God. And when she needed a God, she couldn't come in contact with a God because she didn't believe it. And so our Catholics got to think very carefully. You know, they always think that there's some a better way. There is no better way. What you have is a tremendous gift. And don't lose it. Keep working with it. And keep enriching that relationship, because it's the best thing in your life.
0: Well, thank you. Um, I just want to kind of go through and summarize real, real briefly what we've covered. It's been a, it's been a wonderful time with you. You know, I think one of the words that would capture your experience of prayer and God is awe. You've had that awe and that wonder from the time that you were a child. You were blessed with a mother and a grandmother um, who invited you into their prayer. And you learned as a young child that you could pray petitionary, that you can go to God for anything. Um, And prayer is just simply being with God. You've prayed before the blessed sacrament. uh, Enjoyed being a priest very much in the parish. Um, Theology is a, really an answer to why the why of the questions and the ultimate end of theology. This was beautiful is to help you is to help you grow in prayer. That's the end of theology is to help you grow in your prayer life. Um, Do not despair. And you learn more from prayer during times of suffering. And that Jesus in the new Testament is constantly revealing to us who God is. So, thank you, Bishop Hill. so much for your time. Uh, it was great to hear your story and be with you and to share with our listeners just um your insights and glimpses into prayer. One of the stories I like to always tell about you, and I hope I'm getting the words right is about frank Sinatra's my way uh I think you i think you always said it's a wonderful song, but terrible words you know, so the idea is that hopefully by the end of our lives we learn. Not to do things my way, but to do things God's way. Um, you know, so that's our encouragement if you're listening during this prayer that you can hopefully grow in your prayer life, but grow most importantly in, in learning to do thing, things God's way and not, not our own way. Well, I would love if you could give our listeners a blessing.
1: Yes, be happy to. Good and gracious God, I ask for special blessing on anyone listening to this. Program In your mercy, give them good health, happiness, and peace. Teach them how to pray. Bless their prayer and console them and strengthen them through that prayer. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you all and remain with you forever.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop
1: Hiller.